You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And bringing you today's episode is Draft. Our friends at Draft have been awesome. We've had a lot of fun on the app and we think you should as well. Promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. That's L-O-Bucks. We'll get you a free play when you make a deposit at Draft. That free play can be used on any $3 game. For example, you can enjoy... For example, you can join the drafts that we will end up creating today, Uh, so just head over there and use it. It is very easy and very simple. Frank, as we get ready to go today, um, I know I have about an hour of a mailbag in my back pocket, Uh, so so we can can throw that on the table uh, as soon as we're done uh, previewing the Pelicans. Thank you to everyone for sending in all the questions. we should probably stop being as thorough in answer, answering all of the questions, but I do feel like if we're going to do a mailbag and you spend the time to actually send a question, like I feel like we should answer it. So um, there's that just means that you're just going to get insanely long mailbags, and I don't really care. Um, deal with it. Maybe listen to more of it on Friday if you weren't able to listen to all of the mailbag from yesterday and then all of the mailbag today. Um, but yeah, it's, we, a free, it's a free podcast, you know. Yeah. Hopefully you want to listen to it. And if you don't, you don't listen to it or you <laughs> stop listening to it or whatever. But hopefully, uh, hopefully, I, I, I remember, I think I mentioned last night too, I know we got more questions after we recorded. Um, so apologies to everybody who, who came in a little bit late. But um, yeah, I think we got more or less everybody that, that had uh, tweeted us questions as of our recording at whatever it was, 930 or whenever we recorded last night. So thanks for all the questions. And uh and I was remarkably, I was impressed. Everybody pretty much just tweeted at uh, the Lockdown Bucks hashtag or uh, account. So that was that was yeah. helpful. Yeah, um, I see. You just got to be a little, you got to be a little aggressive with the people, Frank. The people listen to directions. We we have smart listeners. I you know? agree. I, I was kind of surprised as well. So shout out to all of you guys for doing that. Um, Frank, the Milwaukee Bucks play the New Orleans Pelicans tonight. Uh, they make the trip to. Nolans, and we'll see what they can uh, do against them tonight. Looking at that Pelicans team, uh, fourteen and fourteen on the season. Uh, obviously, the Bucks are fifteen and ten, five over five hundred. And this Pelicans team is strange uh, because when you think about the team that they have, you think Anthony Davis, you think Demarcus Cousins, you think Twin Towers dominating in the post and everything that would go along with that and they're not really that team they're kind of a weird team you look at their profile i mean they they score efficiently you would think that i don't know i mean i i kind of figured this team would struggle more offensively just because of the lack of shooters on paper that they had and some of their injuries they had 
Um, but they've actually been much better offensively than defensively. They're eighth in offensive rating. They're 25th in defensive rating. Um, and weirdly, they, they played at a fast pace, um, which, mm-hmm. again, like you think like, oh, you want to play with Boogie and Anthony Davis. Like you can't, you know, you're going to get up and down. You're not going to take really early shot clock uh, shots. But that that's kind of it's it's sort of just a kind of a weird uh a, yeah weird profile for this team overall um that that they've you know temp- attempted a lot of threes and boogie is a big part of that actually because yep. he takes a ton of threes um and so yeah it's just a little bit different than what you might expect you might say oh you got boogie and, and anthony davis you're going to be you know a great rebounding team they're 15th in defensive rebound rate they're 24th in offensive rebound rate so yeah just just kind of a team that that doesn't I, I, statistically in terms of profile it doesn't exactly match what you'd expect to see and um obviously this has been this is a weirdly constructed team for for a number of reasons you know you're starting with having both of those dominant big guys and they both put up huge numbers so far this year um and then obviously you know having rajan rondo just instantly makes you weird as well so um you know he's been back and um you know interesting the other night they're coming off a game in which they basically made what I think 14 out of 19 threes in the first half against uh, Houston. And somehow they were up by two points and they end up losing by like seven because the Rockets just don't care how much you score. They will score more than you. They're cheat code this season. Um, Yeah. So kind of a preview of maybe what the Bucks are in for on Saturday, but um, what you're in for on Saturday that I, yes, I will be there. Um, But I I do think it is funny that, uh, you know, to see this team, the, the Pelicans, they, you know, scored what was 123 points uh, against the Rockets uh, the other night. And, you know, I was looking at those numbers thinking, get it all out of your system. There's no <laughs> way this team... I mean, they, they have not been a bad shooting team from three all year, but um, but get it out of your system. Let's let's just shoot, make all your threes and then have your mean reversion game against the Bucks on Wednesday. That would just be really solid uh, from from my selfish viewpoint. So, um, so yeah, they're they're a weird team in, in on many fronts, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to expect from this team heading into Wednesday's game. I, I they just feel like an unpredictable team, and it feels kind of fitting that they are fourteen and fourteen. Yeah, I feel like with this team on a nightly basis, it could go in just about any direction. Like yeah, at least with at least with the Bucks, I feel like, and again, maybe they're a team like that to some extent, but I think it's, you, you at least kind of understand what they're going to do. Like offensively, it's going to be about Giannis and Bledsoe. It's going to be about attacking the rim. It's probably not going to be a ton of threes. Uh, the pace is probably going to be kind of slow or really whatever the other team dictates for pace. And you can just kind of guess there but with this pelicans team there's just so much strange stuff that they do and you mentioned the the three-point attempt rate like they're 11th in three-point attempt rate despite not really having shooters but it boogies (laughs) like whatever that's fine i got this uh drew holiday has been just miserable from the three-point line this year he's averaging almost five a game and shooting 31 percent uh, Anthony Davis is throwing up almost two a game. So, like, they're still managing to get threes up, but they don't really have the the guys that you would think could do that. And in a strange way, offensively, they just kind of reverse the floor. Uh, and we talked about it a little bit yesterday with Jason Kidd in that these are, these are two guys in Boogie and AD that kind of – are that new evolution of basketball players where 
a normal twin towers, you're thinking, all right, put one on one block, one on the other, and make sure they get a bunch of t- opposed touches. But they're getting touches at the top of the key. They're getting touches at the elbow. They're getting touches where they're driving and kicking and creating for others. And uh, in a in a weird way, they kind of invert the floor in that the big guys are up on top catching and trying to make plays. And then uh, some of the smalls are coming out of the corners or uh, Drew Holiday will duck in from a po- for a post-up from time to time because he has that good length and size. And it just, it's just a really strange team. Um, and one where I think if you catch them on the right night, you can have a chance to beat them. But at the same time, you're the Milwaukee Bucks. You have two centers, sort of, uh, and you have Giannis that plays a majority of your minutes at the four, so you're going to throw Giannis, Thon, and John Henson for the most part. Maybe there's a couple other guys with that mix, but none of the five guys that were injured are traveling to New Orleans. So you have limited depth. Uh, yeah, I guess you have six more falls in uh, Joel Blumboy. Like Maybe you can throw some there, but... Um, Man, like it's it's a pretty thin group of guys up top to try to go at Boogie and AD. Yeah, I mean, presumably we'll see some more hamburger helper in the starting five uh, tomorrow night or tonight when you guys listen to this. Um, and I, again, I, I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the matchup between I think Boogie and you know whoever is playing center is going to be interesting, just because Boogie, you know, in a lot of ways, like I'm okay with Boogie shooting jumpers, you know, and shooting threes. Um, as opposed to just trying to steamroll the Bucks' pencil thin centers, um, yeah. so we'll see if he tries to use his physique uh, to better effect uh, on Wednesday night. Um, and of course, probably the you know more interesting matchup is going to be Giannis against Anthony Davis, who you know are it, it's kind of interesting. Like I think generally speaking, like people think of Anthony Davis as a big guy, and people don't really think of Giannis as like a big man in you know kind of like a general sense. So but they're kind of a natural matchup. I mean, they're actually pretty similarly sized, right? Um, I think Davis still has more weight, you know, on his frame than um, than Giannis does at this point. But um, certainly an interesting matchup to see. We'll see how Anthony Davis tries to defend him, and uh, certainly we'll see also how Giannis tries to defend uh, tries to defend uh, Anthony Davis because obviously um, he's a guy who you know we know what he can do. We know his ability to stretch the floor, maybe not out to three point range. Um, quite like Boogie does, or, or maybe he's not as interested as Boogie in stretching out, but um, certainly that'll be a, a fun matchup to see those two guys go at it. And I feel like it's been a while since Giannis had foul trouble. Um, and again, come on, that, Frank, you had to say it. Well, I want to, I want to, I'm trying to reverse jinx it here. Um, <laughs> so hopefully that, that is not something that comes into play uh, tomorrow night. Cause certainly with AD, um, he's a tough cover. And again, you know, Giannis is going to have to be very careful defending him because he's certainly a guy who could get you into foul trouble. And, um, obviously, uh, bad things happen when Giannis is not on the court. Yeah, and, and this is just one of those games where the Bucks have limited depth right now, but when you look at some of the bench mobs you're going to throw at the Pelicans, or I guess the Pelicans are going to throw at you, you would hope that a, a Middleton-Brogdon pairing could make something happen. You would hope that uh, Giannis and Bledsoe staggered against bench guys could make something happen because this Pelicans team is top heavy uh that there's a lot of guys that i think you'd you'd believe in at the top in namely boogie ad and drew holiday and then after that i think it gets a little bit rough on that squad uh so you would hope that 
even though it's something that the Bucks have struggled with this year, that they could be able to, to make something happen and uh, find some moments where the bench can help increase the lead rather than uh, the starters needing to keep putting it back over the top and then letting it whittle away against the Bucks bench. So uh, we'll see if they can do that. Um, anything else you find interesting here, Frank? No, I think it'll be interesting to see if the Bucks uh, can can maintain their strong record against the Western Conference. They're only five and seven against the East. They're ten and three right now against the West. Now, of course, that probably skews more towards some of the weaker uh, teams out West thus far, given uh, some of the teams that we've seen so far. But um, you know, certainly interesting. You know, with all the type coming into the season about the East being so weak relative to the West. Um, I, last I heard, maybe a week ago, the East was actually had a better record head to head against the West. Um, so that's kind of one of those you know funny quirks. As much as everybody likes to to you know kick sand in the in the East face. Um, so far, you know, obviously Boston playing above their heads. Um, you know, obviously Cleveland now getting their act together, and you know. Teams like the Bucks and, and Raptors trying to uh, maintain some some competitiveness as well with with those leaders uh, early on in the season. So uh, so yeah, another good test for the Bucks. Um, and again, uh, a team that I think certainly like you know we, we've often thought about the Bucks. The, the Pelicans are a team you don't know what to expect night in and night out from. Um, the Bucks have often been mm-hmm. that way, and I still don't know if I trust the Bucks. I can't say I really trust the Bucks at this point. Um, and again, another chance to to prove maybe that they are making strides in that regard. Yeah, one thing I think is kind of interesting is this Bucks team is. I mean, I'm not to the point where I know what to expect from them, but they do start. They're starting to, to certainly appear to have some chemistry. That when you watch all three of their their big three guys play together right now, you're starting to see them. Find some flow, and it was funny watching uh, watching the jump today. Uh, they were talking about can you press the panic button in OKC and all this stuff, and I was like, man, I wonder how many times those three have gone for twenty plus points on the same night, and they've done it four times. The Bucks made threes already gone four times with twenty plus points, like in on the same night, and it was just kind of it was just funny to me that. Those that three in Oklahoma City was obviously something that you talked about, kind of finding their flow and really just putting it on teams offensively, and they haven't been able to do it. And the Bucks have sort of come together in a shorter amount of time and have started to find a little bit more flow. So we'll see if uh, that can continue against the Pelicans, and we'll have to see if if that's what it's going to be on on Wednesday. And speaking of Wednesday, it is of course a draft Wednesday. All you have to do is download the app um, in your app store. Just search draft, download it there. You can also head over to draft.com. And if you do it and you're a new user and you make your first deposit, you can use the promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, that's L-O-Bucks for Lockdown Bucks. And we're going to try to fill up a couple leagues. Last week we did uh, two draft leagues. And we did it with only people that were new followers. And uh, we had someone tweet at us that we weren't quite clear enough how it all works. So I'm going to try to break it down. You go, download, draft, and then you, I think right away, you enter a promo code and you make a deposit so that you can start playing in the games on draft. And then there's also a chance to follow other draft users and once you're in the app, I know this is how it is on my Android phone. It might be different on 
your Apple product, Frank. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but at the top of your screen in the left corner, you're going to have a, just kind of the chance to look at your profile and take a closer look. And if you click on uh, followers or following, you can look up other users. And if you go to following and search at Eric underscore name or at Locked on Frank, you can find us on draft, follow us, and then I can give you a follow back and then I can invite you to the drafts that we do. And we're going to try to do the same thing this week where uh, we have totally new users in our drafts. Um, I know I have a couple people that did it last week and didn't make it last Wednesday. I'm going to try to get them in one of those leagues and then uh, we can do a second one with some new users as well. And you can try to take uh, my money. That's what happened last week and we'll see if it happens this week. Does that sound good, Frank? Yeah, and on the, the iPhone app, if you go to profile on the right side, um, you can see anybody you're following, followers. There's also a little plus pers- plus with a little person icon in the top right. And you can um, either add people through uh, your contacts or you can say no thanks. And you can do a search of names. So you can just type Eric underscore name or Lockdown Frank and, and you'll find people that way. Okay. So it, I think it's very simple once you get into it. And then, uh, like we always say, drafting takes about five minutes. Once your draft begins, it goes very quickly. And I was talking to a a friend about it this weekend like you only draft good players like you don't have to worry about figuring out the best bargain and the the bench guy that's going to somehow have a big night like you don't have to figure out any of that like you get to pick the best guys and then watch those guys that night which i found quite enjoyable with a league pass subscription is i get to kind of flip on that game and pay attention to that game for that night and um, i've enjoyed that quite a bit so hopefully you'll join us over there um, and hopefully you're back for the second part of our podcast or for the second part of our mailbag today because that is what we're doing here on lockdown bucks we did some questions yesterday we are back to do some more again today frank what do we have left i think there's a there's a couple topics that you had circled beforehand, right? Yeah, so I've got my uh, a section I'm calling hashtag squad goals. Uh, we've got some kind of more roster type questions, which I think we've already ticked off some of those from, from yesterday. Uh, and then a couple of Giannis questions and a couple of very random ones that I find kind of uh, fun. So let's jump into the squad goals. And this is a question I had not even given any thought to, but I'm going to ask it to you, Eric. Uh, I have looked this number up on on 538. They have an an estimate for this, but Bill Gustafson wants to ask, what is the percentage on the Bucks making the NBA championship this year? I assume he means making it to the finals. Um, what do you think the 538, you know, analytical model projection is on the Milwaukee Bucks, and and what do you think it actually is? If you think it is different, one uh, percent. It's four percent, according to to they. They currently have the Bucks projected at forty six wins, an eighty one percent likelihood of making the playoffs, a four percent likelihood of making the finals, and a sub one percent. They don't even calculate it. A sub one percent uh, chance of winning the NBA Finals is four percent. Do you would you take the over or under on a four percent likelihood of the Bucks making the NBA Finals? Uh, probably the under. I just think there's enough flaws with this team. I don't know if they know each other well enough. I think we have enough questions about Jason Kidd and the Bucks' strategy and if all of that will kind of work itself out, if it'll all be able to uh, allow the Bucks to maximize their effort and maximize their performance. So I would have significant questions about all of that. Um, and, I, I, man, I just can't imagine 
them beating the Celtics as of right now in a seven-game series. I can't imagine them beating uh, the Cavs in a seven-game series. I'm not sure I can imagine them beating the Raptors in a seven-game series. Um, so I would have I would have significant questions about them in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Yeah, I mean, again, the fact that I've never I haven't really thought about this tells you I it, yeah. it probably shouldn't be a high high probability. Um, but it's interesting because the Cavaliers right now um, are still the the most likely uh, in the East to make the finals. They're at forty percent in this five thirty eight model. So I mean, it's interesting to think about it this way. Do you believe the Cavaliers are ten times more likely to make the finals than the Bucks? Yeah, that feels about right. Yeah, that, that probably feels about right. Interestingly, the Celtics are only a 16% likelihood to make the finals, despite the fact that they're projected to have a better record. 57 win projection for the Celtics, 54 wins for the Cavs. Kind of underscores, I think, some of the things we know. Like, I, I think there is a, a... Basically, it means the model is factoring in the fact that the Cavs continually go to the finals. And I don't know if there's a LeBron James variable uh, in this model, but... Um, certainly it, 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 it kind of jives, I think, with, with what common sense has been, that the, the Cavaliers are still the kind of team to beat. Um, and the Raptors are at 21%, ironically. So interestingly, they have the Raptors actually as higher likelihoods to make the finals than even the Celtics. So um, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and the Wizards are at 8%. And that I find interesting because I feel like I'm not sure I buy the Wizards being double the likelihood of the Bucks going to the finals because I just don't think the Wizards are that good to be honest. And maybe there's some trade they can make, but I just don't think they have enough assets to even, I mean, you know, they, they give up Kelly Oubre and stuff for, Mar- for, you know, Andre, DeAndre Jordan. Like, does that really make the, the wizard suddenly, you know, way better? I don't know. So four or 5%. Yeah, probably that's about right. That feels kind of right. Um, but it is kind of interesting just to compare it to some of these other teams and say like, well, Maybe the Bucks should be a little bit higher, but certainly I wouldn't say substantially higher. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by the Wizards being quite that high, because I think there's significant questions there as well. And um, the Raptors, I think I'm always interested to watch them, and um, I think maybe we sleep on them just a little bit because we haven't seen them. Or, or certainly not, we haven't seen them play the Bucks yet. They, the Bucks don't get them until New Year's Day, um, and then they get them four days later. Um, so the first and the fifth will be the first time the Bucks get to see Toronto, and um, I'm curious to see what they look like against Toronto, especially if uh, the scheme is a little bit different, and um, that Toronto team is, has really been putting it on teams this year. So I, I'm very curious to, to see what the Bucks look like against the Raptors. Yeah, and kind of to, to that question, so uh, Jay Ratkowski asks, let's pretend Kid sticks with the more traditional pick-and-roll coverage. Do you think a more conservative Bucks D can help them win a round or two in the playoffs versus good offense? Um, I mean, I would say absolutely. Um, I think the bar should be get out of the first round, and then I think the real question is, you know, again, can you get to the East Finals? Um, which which would certainly be a big leap for a team that obviously hasn't been past the first round in you know 16 years or whatever it is. Um, I mean, any anything you'd add to that? I mean, um, is that the bar right now? Is is first round sort of the minimum? Yeah, I think I think first round is the minimum, and I get, get, get out of the and get out of the first round. Meaning, yeah, yeah, I say that. yeah. Like I think that is definitely kind of what you're looking for, and then. As it's just kind of strange to think about uh, the idea of a more conservative Bucks defense helping them a win around in the playoffs against for good offenses because well, the Bucks had the best defensive rating in the playoffs last year. 
<laughs> in in the entirety of the playoffs, it was one on one five for those six games against the Raptors. So it was very effective last year. Um, the offense just pooed the bed. Um, so I, I think it's funny to think. I, I guess obviously the Raptors figured it out at some point and then really kind of put it on the Bucks. But then even at that point in Game Six, they didn't really figure it out. Like they figured it out in the first half and then. They got back into their bad habits. So, in theory, yes, I agree. This should make the Bucks better defensively. This should make uh, maybe everything a, a little bit more consistent and give them a better chance in the playoffs. But then I just keep thinking about the Raptors struggling so mightily against it. And obviously, putting any sort of stock into a single playoff series is a really silly thing to do. Um, but I just kind of struggled to get it out of my mind because they, they did really make uh, make it tough on the Raptors last year in that first round uh, with that with that defensive scheme. So, um, yes, I, I would say it should help them win a round or, or two in the playoffs. Winning a round is definitely the goal, definitely what they need to get done this playoffs. And uh, I, I guess we'll just continue to see what it looks like as as they get there. Yeah, so kind of building on that, um, at Millbuck1, hashtag FireKid and hashtag HireFizz, uh, as we were alluding to, the uh, the, 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 the uh, vocal uh, subset of, of okay, Bucks the, fans. Okay, this question isn't going to get asked, but, and I'm going to ask you to try to do this quickly. Um, if the Bucks would fire kid, I keep this is like the second or third time in our questions that I see something about Fizdale getting hired. Is Fizdale your target? Like, are, are you that convinced that he's a great coach or the best available coach out there, that that would be the guy that you'd really want the Bucks to end up with? And again, maybe this is an unfair question to just spring on you in this moment, but I think I still have some questions about Fizdale. Well, I think you need to tweet that at the Lockdown Bucks account for me to answer it, because that's the rule with this, this mailbag. <laughs> but um, I mean, I would interview Fizdale. Yeah, I mean, I won't, for sure. I won't pretend to know enough really to say that like, oh yeah, he's definitely like your guy and, and he's yeah. going to be the guy that, you know, leads this team to the promised land or, or is, is, you know, the Bucks, you know, great coach that can go head to head with, you know, the, the pops and, and Stevens. I don't know if he is right. I mean, I think superficially he obviously brought kind of a more forward thinking version of, of modern basketball to Memphis, which was not a place that, you know, was necessarily very amenable to that given some of the personnel they had and, you know, they retained some of the positive characteristics that they had, but you know, obviously, I mean, it blew up on him. He, he couldn't, you know, make peace with, with Marcus soul, which probably to me says more about Marcus soul than Fisdale, just given, you know, agree. Fisdale's rep with, with, the LeBron Jameses and pretty much everybody else that it seems like, you know, he, he has had um, good relationships with. Um, so I, I think he's definitely a guy you'd want to talk to. Um, definitely a guy you'd, you'd put on the interview list because all, he's still young enough that I think um, he has the potential that, you know, maybe he is that type of guy. Um, and I, I just, I just keep coming back to uh, uh, interview that Steve Kerr did with Bill Simmons. And um, I think, I don't know if I mentioned on our pod or if I was just talking to somebody, but um you know, he Fisdale's names came up in that conversation, and and Kerr repeatedly said that Fisdale was a great coach, and like That's you know, a like pretty solid more, endorsement. More than more than just like paying lip service, like talked about his stuff and you know the what they what they run and, and that, and he he belabored the point of David Fisdale being a, a great coach, and you know it's interesting, right? That that he has the respect of of Steve Kerr would. Would Steve Kerr have said that if Jason Kidd's name came up? 
Uh, I'm skeptical. Uh, that, that's not the question I'm asking. Like, no, I, um, I for sure would I, prefer Fizzdale the kid, but I'm just, yeah. I, I wonder if Fizz is kind of that, I don't want to say savior, that's the wrong word, but is that no doubt guy that the Bucks w- sh- should pursue if they were to let go kid. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't pretend to know that there is a no doubt guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's, there's, I, I mean, I think it would be fascinating because you know we've we've heard a lot of fans, um, at least sort of in the the vocal subset of of hardcores, you know, talk about a Troy Messina um, assistant uh, in San Antonio the last few years who you know has been one of the the greatest coaches in in European history. Um, I, I think the Bucks are interesting because, um, you know, there are two names that that would be massive massive news if they are hired as head coaches and who i think the bucks would be much more likely to hire than just your average team and i think one would be and again i don't this isn't necessarily saying that much about the bucks i have no idea if they would be willing to roll the dice on an international coach and be really the first you know team to hire a european coach as their head coach the fact that the bucks have a european maybe the the, the most high ceiling european in the history of this sport as their star player, um, you know, Giannis, I think would be more amenable to having a more European sensibility type coach. And again, I don't want to stereotype, but, um, I, I think that c- kind of creates an interesting dynamic for, you know, whenever the bucks go out and find a new head coach, um, at some point that's going to happen. Um, hopefully Giannis is hopefully Giannis outlives Jason Kidd in Milwaukee. Um, because that's just kind of, you know how coaches tend to go they just don't last as long as hopefully star players um so i think that would be interesting and then you know we have to acknowledge that i mean becky hammond i don't know why she would be interviewed for a gm job i don't think she was seriously considered for the gm job last year but there was apparently some conversation that happened about something with becky hammond last year and she is very well respected um and she comes with the spurs pedigree which again has had some some good results um you know, maybe some some sort still still to be determined. Um, you know, Bud and and Brett Brown certainly are. I say people who have you know been in the pro uh, Spurs uh, coaching tree camp. Um, let's not forget Joe Prunty is also a former Spurs assistant. Um, but uh, but I think those would be very interesting. I think the Bucks might cast a very wide net. Although I also would worry that the Bucks might fall into the trap of looking for just a name brand guy because the bucks have often kind of been a slave to name brands. Um, and like nothing would kind of make me sadder than like, well, that's maybe saying a lot, but like it would make me sad. I would make me sad if like doc rivers becomes a target for the bucks. Let me say that. Um, but I don't know. It's it's tough to say. So anyway, I just went. I, I blathered for quite a while on the Bucks coaching options. But I should have known um, better than to ask you to yeah. answer a question quickly. That's my bad. Yeah, yeah. You've only been doing this with me for you know two years. So. <laughs> um, should we go to the next question? Or do you have anything to add there? No, that that's all good. Like I said, I, I think I, I like a lot of the stuff this deal does. But you know, I'm just always kind of thinking about when something seems. Um, like an easy decision. I shouldn't say an easy decision, but something that is kind of like staring you in the eyes. Like I always try to question that and think about, is there other people out there? Is it maybe not as obvious, but um, there's a lot to like with Fizz. I, I think obviously the fact that he's worked with the guy, like with guys like LeBron and D Wade and uh, all those guys support him. He's obviously spoken, uh, 
glowingly about Giannis Kumbo in, in the past. So um, I, I think there's a lot to like there, and I think there is a, a lot of good things that he does on uh, the floor with the actual product. So, yeah, I would I would say that I would very much be interested um, in interviewing him for a position. Um, and I would agree that the Bucks, I think, would be more open than than some other teams to someone like uh, Messina to someone like Hammond, I, I think they would be willing to kind of cast that wide net, like you said. Um, and yes, I would also fear uh, for any sort of brand name kind of guy like Doc. Yeah, and and I, I think um, let's just say it'll be very interesting to see if, whenever the Bucks get to that point, kind of what they do. Because I, I think you know, again, we saw it with the GM search, there were some very like you know progressive options and then there were some very not progressive options and you know w- whether any of those were really considered um you know the the ed stefanskis of the world i'm not sure um probably depends if rod thorne is still involved in the process at the next time yep. they do this um but anyway um moving on so so we got diverted there mill buck ones he had kind of a two-part question um how do the bucks stack up long term against the celtics and sixers talent wise front office slash ownership coaching etc how concerned are you about the Bucs competing against those two, those two teams moving forward? And they also asked, where does the healthy Bucs roster rank both in the East and in the league overall in terms of just raw talent? So let's say Jabari gets back to 80% of last season's form by playoff time, and guys like Snell, Toledovic, Jelly are healthy. Um, do, do you want to pick one of those and, and kind of start? I mean, this I feel like this we could talk for like 45 minutes about, so this one we should be really excited to not talk for 45 minutes about. Yeah, I mean, this is a podcast, right? Like right. the future of the Milwaukee Bucks and their present. Um, <laughs> so, like, this it might come up again at some point. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, let's see. What was the first one? Uh, where do they rank in the East? Um, below Boston, below Toronto, below Cleveland. I'm comfortable at four. Um, where do they rank in the leagues overall in terms of raw talent? Houston's better. Uh, Golden State's better. San Antonio? With Kawhi? Yeah, San Antonio's better. better. Um, Minnesota, I would question. Denver, I'd question. Portland, I'd question. New Orleans is maybe more talented because of the top like high end talent, but obviously we know of the significant questions with that roster. Um, same thing goes for Oklahoma City. So I feel confident league wise, raw talent saying the Bucks are top ten. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think uh, in the West, Houston, Golden State, San Antonio. I'd put Oklahoma City in there as well, just because it's on pure talent. I think obviously more so for um, Russell. Westbrook, Paul George, and Stephen Adams, um, more so than how dare you than Carmelo being in there. Um, <laughs> but I think they do have a fair bit of talent, and um, as as the experience of Victor Oladipo and Domantas Sabonis has suggested, perhaps uh, talent is not exactly fully realized when playing with Russell Westbrook. Um, so yeah, those, and then I, I would agree. I mean, I think you know it's on the Bucks to sort of dethrone not not just the the Cavs, but I mean also Boston and and. Toronto, I think at this point are are you know have shown that they can win at a higher level. Now, do they have higher raw talent bases? I think that's where it becomes really interesting because only one of those teams has somebody who compares to Giannis, and that's LeBron. Um, and you know, Toronto, I think to their credit, and Boston, I mean, they are getting big contributions, especially Boston. Um, but both those teams are getting really nice contributions from guys who are first and second year players. 
And the Bucks were kind of on track to do that last year with Thon and Malcolm kind of, again, you know, on the rise a bit. But then, you know, especially Thon has stalled a bit this year, and we're not seeing anything, obviously, from, um, you know, DJ Wilson and, and uh, Sterling Brown. So um, for sure, I mean, if you had OG Ananobi playing big minutes and giving you all this good stuff this year, you'd probably feel even better about the Bucks. And um, and I don't think it's, you know, it's not like it's written in stone that, that OG Ananobi is going to be a star and DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown are never going to do anything. Um, but I think it sort of underscores that if Thon Maker can sort of start to figure things out again, if Thon can kind of, you know, recapture sort of what he was. And, and again, not that he has to become a star, but if he looks like a guy who's, you know, going to be a future starter and a perfect fit for this team. And, um, you know, maybe one of those rookies begins to look like a, a good rotation player. Then I think all of a sudden, you know, if the Bucks sort of figure stuff out and start to win, at you know a 50 something win clip i don't think you look at where they are relative to toronto and even boston and cleveland and say oh they're they're just in like a totally like different lower class than those teams yep i mean i think at that point you have to start saying well we should have the ambition of trying to catch these teams and i don't think it's going to happen this year but i think that should be the ambition and i think certainly in a year or two um i, I think you have to have that goal of, of trying to unseat those teams and so much of that just speaks to how freaking awesome Giannis is, you know. Yep. But um, but anyway, um, long term for- against the Celtics yeah. and the Sixers, mm, Celtics need to find their Giannis. Until the, until then, I'm not really all that concerned about them talent wise. Uh, Sixers obviously, Embiid and Simmons both have insane talent. Um, so I think I would worry about the Sixers more talent wise. Front office and ownership and coaching, I think obviously the the Bucks would stack third against those two teams in those two regards. Um, certainly with coaching and front office, you have a lot of confidence with the Celtics. Um, even if they don't have that that future talent that is necessarily scaring you, like Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum are going to be nice players, but I, I don't even think the kindest projections would say either of them are a Giannis-type player. Um mm-hmm. So uh, that I, I wouldn't worry about as much. Obviously, front office and coaching with Ainge and Stevens is great. Sixers, I don't know that their front office and ownership is great. Um, if it was still Sam Hankey, maybe I'd be a little bit more fear, uh, afraid. But Colangelo, yeah, he's fine. Uh, maybe even at times throughout his career, he's been bad. Um, so front office and ownership there, I don't really worry about coaching. I think Brett Brown's a good coach. Um, so coaching for sure, I think you'd put the Bucks three front office and ownership. You'd put them below the Celtics, maybe in the same area as the Sixers. Uh, but talent wise, um, I think it would be Bucks and Sixers and Celtics below that. So you know, I think there's there's reason to be somewhat concerned about them. But I would assume those are kind of the three teams that you're competing with, and probably LeBron at 45 because uh, apparently he's never going to age or stop being good at basketball. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at this, I mean, I think the Celtics, obviously, coaching by a long shot, you know, mm-hmm. they're they're the team that that's out ahead there. I think front office, I mean, just, you know, Ainge's proven track record, you know, being able to put together that team and consistently make decisions that, you know, seem to pan out other than not drafting Giannis, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that That is the one kind of very obvious thing that, that he blew. Um, so I think if you could take sort of the buck or the, the Celtics kind of infrastructure, um, mixed with, you know, the, the, the top, I would say, I mean, if you were drafting, you know, 
if you had an expansion draft and you could draft any players from those three teams, I think you'd go Giannis. Um, I think it'd be interesting Embiid versus Simmons, just because Simmons doesn't have the durability questions that Embiid has, but Embiid is, you know, clearly I think the more dominant player yeah. out of those two. Um, but I think you'd probably go those two guys. And I, I, to be honest, I'd, I'd put Kyrie after those guys. And then I'd probably maybe Tatum comes up after those guys as well. Um, and interestingly, you know, Fultz, we haven't even really thought about how he's going to fit into this. I don't know if he's a great fit for them, um, given how dominant Simmons has been with the ball. Um, but obviously he's an asset. He's talented. I, I don't think he's going to, you know, be throwing up left-handed bricks in practice the rest of his life. I think he will be a, at least a good NBA player. Um, so I think, you know, you, you kind of mix and match. I think um, Giannis is the ultimate trump card, though. He's the best player on any of these teams. Um, and, and that is, from a raw, raw material standpoint, every fan base would rather ha- would, would want the best player. And then you figure out the coach, you know. Mm-hmm. You figure out the, the infrastructure. I know you can't just buy culture and things like that. But, um, but I, I think as a Bucks fan, you can still be optimistic just because you have Giannis and those other teams don't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's kind of different things, right? Sixers having two potential superstar top end talents that, you know, the other teams don't, I just, I just don't put Tatum in that category quite, quite yet. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, certainly the Bucks and Sixers don't have, you know, a, an Ainge Stevens combination. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think the other big piece is those other teams have some future draft assets, the Bucks that the Bucks do not have. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big deal, you know, in terms of trying to find, you know, what are those future um, you know, complimentary star type potential pieces. The Bucks don't really have an avenue for adding another potential star. Um, you know, if it's not Jabari, um, and it's not you know Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe, then you know, I, again, I don't think it's going to be Thon or Malcolm Brogdon. So that's that's obviously puts the Bucks at a disadvantage versus um, some of those future assets and future draft assets that the Celtics and uh, and Sixers still have. Um, I don't know if we really answered that question, but. Um, Whatever. Hey, we gave it a shot. I'm good. We gave it a shot. We talked. We we moved our lips for a while, and sounds came out. Um, (laughs) Roster. That's a good summation of this podcast. They moved their lips for a while, and sounds came out. Update update the uh, the Apple Podcast uh, description. <laughs> um, we'll get into some roster questions here. Some of these we already touched on in the earlier pod, but uh, Dylan Ben Swaggy DB Sweeney uh, at DB Sweeney asks: Any kind of roster moves you guys see happening, and also any moves you would like to see, or would you like it to stay the way it is now? Love the podcast, guys. Thank you, Dylan, for the kind words. Um, I mean, I'll say this: like, first off, we mentioned <laughs> with in the last pod with uh, Gary Payton. Uh, hamburger helpers uh, 45 days coming due at some point presumably here um, they're gonna have to make a decision there now you know if they have to send him back down to the G League it doesn't open up a roster spot um, I think the the question for me is you know if they get an injury to the center position then I think they do need a kind of break in case of emergency guy probably um, I just don't know kind of what move you make to open up that roster spot like I've been watching when I've watched the Lakers, I've been trying to pay attention to how Bogut looks just because, you know, Bogut is kind of my lazy option for a guy. Buyout who could, season. Yeah, exactly. A guy who could just get bought out if the Lakers are crappy and, you know, he wants to go to a competitive team. And obviously we know Bogut from, from our time here. So, um, so yeah, I think Bogut a Bo- or a Bogut type. And again, I don't know, you know, uh, pick your, your other guys out there who could be an option. I mean, Joel Anthony, right? <laughs> Joel Anthony's yep. out there. He probably remembers the playbook, although some of that stuff has changed, I guess. Um, but yeah, picking up a guy like that who could at least, you know, give you a, a big body 
um, and, you know, late in the season, maybe help you on the boards. Again, I, I'm not, I, I'm actually kind of fine just rolling the way the Bucks are currently constructed just because, um, again, especially if Thon is giving you better minutes and Henson kind of continues to do what he's been doing and you have Giannis who you can still throw out there at center in certain situations. I mean, again, I think if you're adding a center, it's, it's more to be kind of a, you know, a fill in type piece, um, in certain situations. Uh, I, I just, at this point, I just don't think a DeAndre Jordan trade just makes sense. I think giving up assets and then having to pay him God knows what to extend him. Either you pay him probably a lot of money to extend him or you just let him walk. I mean, I just don't, I just don't see what he does for you in the modern NBA that kind of makes that a good, you know, on net trade because effectively you're going to have to, you know, decide to not keep other guys. Like, Either you're not keeping Jabari or you're not keeping Middleton or Bledsoe maybe walks in 2019. Like something is happening if you're in a world where you're keeping DeAndre Jordan and paying him $25 million a year. And I just don't know like what what you're doing that for, I guess. Um, I would like the Bucks to rebound better. But hey, the Clippers also suck at rebounding despite DeAndre Jordan mm-hmm. being there. And like the idea that you're going to get DeAndre Jordan and then he's just going to like shut down Joel Embiid in the playoffs in 2020 or something like that. Like, <laughs> that's just, I, that's just not really how the league like works. Like DeAndre Jordan can't stop Joel Embiid one-on-one either. Right. So, yeah. um, so anyway, I'm, I'm just very skeptical of like a big move, like whether it's him or Marcus soul. Um, I would rather try to, especially given the ages of those guys, especially Gasol. I would much rather, I mean, you've already made one move to kind of get Bledsoe, who's, you know, ahead of Giannis by, you know, five years in terms of age. Um, I would just rather kind of probably keep the rest of the roster more in that sort of, you know, low to mid-20s type range because I think that aligns better to kind of the long-term ceiling of the team. And again, I, you know, as much as I think the Bucks can be competitive in the short term, I just don't think the trade-off makes sense. Yeah, I'm not interested. I am not interested in any sort of big move, Gasol or Jordan. Um, I just, I don't, I don't really, I don't have much interest and I'm not really curious about what that looks like. I, I've talked about it before, how I don't want to spend any future assets or future money on a center to come in and quote unquote solve problems. Um, they're problems that I largely don't think are a big deal. Um, so I'm not interested in any big moves. I'm waiting for buyout season. Um, I, as far as what bigs I want bought out, I don't care. I, I really don't. Like if it's a big veteran big, um, and when I say a big veteran big, I mean like big, like strong, like someone different than the build of Thon Maker and John Henson. Like that's what I'm talking about. Um, so if it is a veteran big that has some of that bulk, um, I think that's the guy that I want. So find the the bulkiest um, big that gets bought out, and I, that would be the guy that I'd be interested in um, at that moment. Now, for any kind of roster moves I can see happening, I think I get more concerned about a DeAndre Jordan move the longer DeAndre Jordan stays on the market. Um, because obviously we are well aware of him signing with Jeff Schwartz. We are well aware of the assets that the Milwaukee Bucks have, and we are aware of the assets that the Milwaukee Bucks do not want to give up. Um, I don't think they want to give up Chris Middleton. I don't think they want to give up Jabari Parker. 
I don't think they want to give up Malcolm Brogdon. But as time goes, DeAndre Jordan loses value. And he becomes possibly more affordable. Um, so I think as you see some of those those things happen, um, I will feel a lot more comfortable once it turns December 15th and some of those um, other contracts become available to be traded. Um, I would feel great if in those two weeks DeAndre Jordan gets traded, not to Milwaukee. <laughs> um, he goes somewhere else because I just think as that price comes down, I think the Bucks become more and more likely uh, to make a move for him. And but I, I don't think at that point, if you're into January, uh, getting close to February, like I think Chris Middleton's probably out. Um, I think you're getting closer to moving Jariah Parker out. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, could you part with Malcolm Brogdon for the next year and a half for this half year of DeAndre Jordan and the potential uh, to sign him this summer? And then maybe I think that becomes more attractive to ownership. Not to me, um, but to a team really trying to make a playoff push. And I'm not interested in it, but I... I mean, the Schwartz connection is very real, and uh, the Bucks' desire to continue to improve and grab more talent is real as well. So um, maybe I see something like that happening, but I would not like to see it happen. Speaking of Jabari, Nick Dory asks, what do you see Jabari's role being when he comes back? I think he'd be a great boost for the reserve unit. And this is a great question because, you know, I... I think if we're going to be honest about Jabari Parker's future in Milwaukee, again, as much as I don't necessarily want to trade Bucks' assets for DeAndre Jordan, um, I mean, we've seen how well this team can score offensively in particular, but also, I mean, just you know, going both ways um, with two role players in the starting five, Tony Snell and John Henson in this case. And obviously, at some point, you could probably switch in Thon Maker and pretty much get the same result as far as you know the, how this team will, will operate hopefully long term um i mean shoehorning jabari into the starting five i mean we, we saw the the three middleton jabari Giannis play together in the 15-16 season in the second half they all averaged 19 points per game um team showed some things you know wasn't really successful but um you know we've seen at least some of that um but man i i just I just have a hard time seeing Jabari Parker as a starter being really a good solution for this team. And I think we have to be really honest about if Jabari Parker's best role is not as a starter on this team, especially with Eric Bledsoe, who's obviously a guy who wants the ball as well in the starting five beyond Chris and Giannis. Um, then what exactly is the expectation? I mean, what? how much can you actually pay Jabari Parker if he's a, I don't know, 28 to 30 minute, six man and and i mean he could be really good in that role but is the market going to dictate that he be paid like that role and is jabari going to be happy in that role that's some really tough those are some really t- tough questions and i think the bucks can kind of i think they're going to be able to test drive that in the sense that there'll be an excuse to bring him off the bench when he's coming back from the injury yep but that's that that's a really difficult kind of reality that I think the Bucks and, and Bucks fans we have to acknowledge, especially given that he's gonna have to get paid this summer. And and so I think that's why as much as I don't want to give up on Jabari, I think you at least have to be open to potential trade options that might give you a chance to find maybe a better a better fit long term. And it's kind of tough because like I mean 
you look at the Bucks, right? I mean, it's a good problem to have, but it's like I, I don't really think investing a ton of money in centers makes sense. But every other position the Bucks have, I mean, really shooting guard is the only other position where you don't have, you know, more than like a role-playing starter. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of an interesting question. Like, is there a shooting guard that you could try to go out and acquire and then give you, you know, Bledsoe plus a better shooting guard than Tony Snell plus Giannis plus Chris and then, you know, your role-playing centers? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of spitballing off the top of my head, but um, – I think this is these are tough questions, right? And I don't think it's as you know simple as just oh well when Jabari comes back then everything's great because when you have this great talent it's like well you have a great talent but how you fit him in how you make all this work long term I mean it's kind of first world problems but um, I think it's something they had Bucks are going to have to figure out. I think the the questions might be ones that. Milwaukee Bucks fans and the organization have to ask, but they're up to Jabari Parker to answer. The all those scenarios, I mean, that's that's essentially asking him, what do you think your worth is? How much do you think of yourself going forward? How much do you think you should be paid? How do you think you want to play? Um who do you want to play with? Where do you want to play? Uh all of those questions are, to me, I think, more for Jabari Parker. And obviously the Bucks have him in restricted free agency this summer, so they can kind of allow him to go out there. Um, and then those questions will all be reversed once either he signs a, 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 an offer sheet with someone and they have to decide if they want to match or um, they decide to sign him to an extension before uh, he goes out and gets an offer sheet elsewhere. But, man, I think it... I think this is five to ten podcasts for us in the second half of the season, right? Like, we're going to have to ask all these questions again, and I don't know if any of it becomes more clear. I've said before, I think um, I would love Jabari Parker in a Jamal Crawford role, getting paid what Jamal Crawford got paid uh, later in his career. I don't know if I want uh, some of the first contracts that Jamal Crawford signed or the equivalent of those, um, but that's kind of the role. I, I think makes a lot of sense for him, but if you look to before you in the draft and you see a guy in Andrew Wiggins that is an okay player, I, I, okay is probably a little bit too far. He's a good player, but I don't think you see him as the type of guy that's on the same level as Giannis, and then you look below yourself in the draft and you see a guy like Embiid who has that potential but has played about the same amount of games as you, you see questions that you think you as Jabari Parker probably answer in both directions. Like, I think I'm better than Andrew Wiggins, and I think that I've played as many games or similar amount of games as Joel Embiid. So if those two guys got maxes, why wouldn't I get a max? And why wouldn't I be someone that would be in the, that position? So, um, man, there I, I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen a larger can of worms. Um, you, you're going to crack it open uh, when Jabari returns, and you're going to have to try to figure out a lot of it out. And I don't know, um, one, if you can figure that out in about, 25 to 30 games or two even if you had two years to make all these decisions if it would become much easier that, that i got nothing as far as answers go on that yeah i mean the interesting thing is like i mean jamal crawford 
I mean, there are a lot of combo guards who've been good six men because they just, you know, Chuck. handle the ball and they just have the green light and they just shoot a lot. And I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think Jamal Carver is always pretty overrated to begin with. Like, I, I feel like Jabari's just a lot more talented than than a guy like that might be just because of his size and, and kind of physical tools. But I, I don't know who, I don't know who the analog is for Jabari, right? I mean. You know, like like Tobias Harris, I don't think had quite Jabari's physical tools. He came off the bench for a while in Detroit over the last year. Now he's starting. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what the answer there is, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see kind of what the, the the push and pull is with management and coaching staff as far as you know whether there is any pressure to start Jabari at some point this season. Um, or obviously, if he resigns, I mean, there's going to have to be some sort of understanding there about what his role is going to be. So I, I don't know. I mean, because that's the thing. If Jabari Parker doesn't really fit, um, I mean, the, the the clock is kind of ticking on on his his value. Not that he, like, becomes a pumpkin at, on July 1st this year, but obviously once he's a free agent, even if he's a restricted free agent, I mean, man, these questions become, become certainly a, a lot more difficult. Um, Brian Harmon asks, um, it says, really enjoy the podcast. Do you know any return date for Jabari? Telly, do you think the I'll F you up by Giannis caused a change in Bucks defense? Six and one since. Remember three years ago, the roster was Knight, Mayo, Giannis, Jabari, and Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty hilarious. That's why I always like kind of like warn people not to get too attached to any guys right now just because, man, these lineups change so fast. Yeah. Um, but anyway, thank you, Brian, for the kind words. Um, Return date for Jabari sounds like it's still February. Um, he is practicing with the team. I mean, if you go to a Bucks game, you'll see him um, working out with uh, Frank Johnson for games and dunking and doing things that you'll say, man, he doesn't look like a guy who you know is two months away from returning. But again, it just seems like they're trying to be as cautious as possible. Um, there's a lot of it. There's nothing good that comes out of saying his return date has moved up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and if anything, it you know if, if as long as the Bucks are playing well. Um, it, there's really no urgency either, right? I think last year there was urgency to get Chris Middleton on the court because they seemed to really need him. They were in a tailspin for a while there, um, but it's really not the case. You you hope that's not the case with Jabari, and I think if it comes to the point of feeling like you need Jabari back to save your team, you got much bigger problems because they, as we've kind of been alluding to, they shouldn't need Jabari to be good this year. Um, maybe Jabari can take them to the next level, but um, but yeah. Um, Telly, uh, there were some quotes in yeah, the Blasco's article we talked today. To him, yeah, we talked to him a little bit today. Um, I think he's still a pretty good ways away. Uh, he mentioned that just seeing him move, uh, he was actually jumping when he shot and went through a workout with some of the, the Bucks trainers after practice and uh as i was talking to matt he had said that that wasn't something uh that tell had been doing in the past so that was kind of uh him getting to do some more stuff but he is still moving very gingerly not that you would think like oh man Musa is not that explosive anymore like that that's never been his thing but you can just see that he's not really moving all that comfortably and then he said that uh the big thing is just being able to sprint at some point. Um, and er- earlier this year, he had talked about how uh, he had really been focused on his shape and uh, sprinting a lot more because he knew that Giannis wanted to get out on the break and he needed to be in the right spots for Giannis on the break. Um, and he mentioned today, like, well, I've played with Eric Bledsoe before, so I need I need to be able to do that even more because Eric can push it 
as fast as Giannis and they both want to do that. So I, I really need to make sure. So I would say weeks yet on Toledovich. I think he's, he's got a ways to go. Yeah. And it was interesting that, you know, he was dealing with some pain earlier in the season as well, given that he was shooting the ball so well, I think it was kind of interesting yeah. that, you know, he was able to kind of find his rhythm as a jump shooter, um, even with, with, you know, some, some pain in, uh, in the knee. So um, that was interesting. Um, I think as far as the rest of the questions, do you think the LFU up by Giannis caused a change in the Bucks defense? No. Um, no, I, I think there's probably, you know, correlation in the sense that that was a frustrating game for all of the Bucks. Um, and Giannis in particular, Giannis for multiple reasons, because of some non-calls. And then also, obviously, I think everybody was frustrated by, uh, you know, the way that they got torn apart by that Jazz defense. Um, so I think, <clears throat> again, maybe some common sources of the frustration and, um, you know, it seemed like there was some change with a couple of practices. Giannis uh, talked fairly openly in the locker room about, you know, the fact that um, they got worked really hard in those practices after that game. And, you know, basically they felt like, you know, he was kind of laughing, you know, joking that they had to play better. Or they were, you know, the coaching staff was going to just put them through hell and cut practice and make them practice for, you know, five hours or something like that again. So, um, so again, I don't know if it's the analog to that, supposed you know rumored practice they had some time last year when they were going through all those struggles and then sort of things turned around um but it did seem like there was something that kind of clicked and obviously there were a number of things happening at that point not just the the Giannis situation but certainly some some correlation there Matt and I um, were joking that it's it, and I say this as sarcastically as possible it's always strange that those practices don't tend to come out until two weeks later after, you know, things have gone well. Um, yeah. cause otherwise it's just, Oh, we had a, we had a practice where we got killed, but then we still sucked for three weeks. Like yeah. <laughs> when the, when the bucks were losing 12 of 14 in January last year, I, I, I would guess Jason Kidd put them through some hard practices, but it's not as fun of a story to tell all the media two weeks later that, Oh yeah, we really worked them hard in Utah or wherever you were sure we've we've only won one game in the last three weeks but we really worked them hard like that that doesn't make for an interesting anecdote um so i I don't know i always take those with a bit of a grain of salt yeah nobody says after the hard practice you know that well we're we're kind of teetering on the brink here and you know really need this to work if this doesn't work we're we're kind of screwed um uh next question which i thought was an interesting one uh, comes courtesy of our friend uh, Elijah Price slash David Dunn twenty one. Um, he asked, and he included a poll um, of Chris Middleton reminds you most of, and then um, he provided a few different options. And I think what the options were: uh, Joe, Joe Johnson, Johnson Jalen Rose, John Salmons, and Trevor Ariza. Those Trevor were your Ariza. those were your four uh, options. So my initial thought, and I voted um, for. Uh, Joe Johnson, because I've made that comparison before, yep. um, probably a couple of years ago, I, I said that there was some Joe Johnson in uh, Chris's game when he was kind of putting up like those twenty-five and five type numbers, which he's pretty close to uh, at this point again. Twenty-five um, and five, like yeah, 20, twenty five, twenty points, and twenty five. points, exactly five rebounds, five assists, um, and certainly Johnson in his prime kind of stretched those a bit. Uh, his best year, he actually averaged 25 a game in Atlanta um, in a shortened season. Um, 
but had a few years where he was between 21, between 20 points and 22 points. And uh, his assist numbers got as high as six and a half one season, but he was close to five in, in a lot of those seasons. So I think, you know, probably in part due to his usage, um, he was a bit, bit higher um, usage. But I think just stylistically, because he's, you know, basically the same size as Chris, you know, six, seven, six, eight. Um, not explosive, you know, not a guy that you'd look at as an athlete who's going to go, you know, create shots and, and dunk on people. Um, you know, ISO Joe, uh, was maybe the analog to the tough spot express, uh, <laughs> in its time. Um, Joe Johnson probably had a bit more success in clutch situations than Chris has had. Um, but I think just some similarities there, um, you know, guys who were more skill and physical size guys than just pure athleticism and, and kind of made the best of, of what they had. Um, but I thought it was interesting because um, you actually dug into some of the other names. And um, I, I first of all, I'll say this. I didn't think Trevor Reza was the answer because Ariza, I just don't think, had sort of the creating kind of capability yeah. that, that uh, Chris has. I think Trevor's really just a pure spot-up, you know, type, up-and-down type score, shooter slash scorer. In, uh, in Houston, he's great at what he does, but, you know, really doesn't have to create off the dribble at all. Um, and Salmons was just mean. Um, I think, I think, uh, yes, noted, that's mean. Noted, you know, Elijah Price is a noted Middleton skeptic on Bucks Twitter. Probably the most notable Middleton skeptic slash Jabari optimist. Um, so I just assumed that was just him jabbing at, uh, at, uh, at Bucks fans, although we'll always have Fear of the Deer, John Salmons, I suppose. But that leaves one name who I, I initially would, did not think was a good comp, but you actually looked into it a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, one, Salmons is so offensive. Good God. Salmons compared to Middleton is just offensive. Um, and he knows what he did by including John Salmons. Oh, he knows what he's doing. He, he knows what he's doing. It was offensive and rude, and you should be ashamed of yourself. Um <laughs> So we'll go to Jalen Rose was actually surprisingly uh, a better comp than I thought, um, just because I never really thought Rose had the scoring seasons uh, that he did. But you look at him on that Pacers team in 01 or 2000-2001, Rose was averaging 20 points per game, 6 assists per game, and 5 rebounds per game. Um, and I would not have, I would not have guessed the, I guess kind of the usage and volume would have been there. Um, and that is pretty much like the prime of Jalen Rose's career. He, he had that year in Indiana and then a couple years in Chicago where, uh, 22, almost five and four again. And I, I don't think of Jalen Rose as, as that guy. I think he's not quite the shooter. Uh, that Chris Middleton is, and certainly that is that has been the case. Uh, a 35.5% career three-point shooter for Jalen Rose uh, in his career. Chris Middleton is 40-plus. Um, so I would say that that part doesn't really work out, but um, the playmaking and the scoring um, worked out pretty well. But I, I think where I, I, re- I think Rose is probably a bit more of a playmaker and point forward type than Middleton is. And I think Joe Johnson is probably a little bit more of a score than Middleton is. But if I get to mix those two together, um, in 
I guess it is probably not a poor man's version of Joe Johnson, but like a middle-class version of Joe Johnson. Um, I feel like that has always felt like the most accurate thing to me, just because the way that those two function is very similar. The way that they score points uh, can be very similar in that it's going to be some skill-based stuff rather than um, athleticism and doing some stuff in mid-range, but also hitting some threes. Um, I've, I've always just thought Joe Johnson is the comp as uh, kind of the type of player that Chris Middleton is. Even if he isn't quite as talented as Joe Johnson was, that that one worked out really well for his comp. And one thing to know about Joe Johnson, I mean, Joe played tons of minutes over his career. Um, he regularly averaged over 40 minutes per game um, sort of in his prime season. So if you look at his per 36 numbers, um, it kind of deflates some of his raw stats a fair bit. I think he only scored over 20 points per 36 minutes twice in his career, um, even though he won over 20 points in just like raw per game numbers, um, probably like five or six times or something like that. So, um, so that's kind of one thing to kind of be aware of as well. I think and Joe also, like, if you look at a lot of his advanced numbers, certainly not befitting of a guy who made as many all-star teams as, as he did. Seven-time um, all-star. Seven, Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. He's seven-time all-star. You know, when you look at um, his numbers, and I think a lot of it's just because, um, you know, especially after, you know, the, the latter seasons in Atlanta, they had some good seasons in Atlanta when he was there. They had some good seasons in Brooklyn um, early on when he was there. Um, so again, probably inflating maybe some of the perception of, of him. Um, but yeah, I still like that comp. I mean, again, not, not a perfect comp, but, um, he's still the guy that, that I would say, um, is, is the guy that I think maybe makes the most sense just stylistically. Um, going through additional questions. Um, let's see, we, or we already covered some of these. Um, are, are we on to, I think, oh, I think Andrew Schroeder yep, right before yep. Giannis. Yeah, Andrew asked, not sure, and again, Andrew, I don't know if you're a Schrader or a Schroeder, um, but I'll, I'll read off your question. Hopefully uh, you're one of those two and you're not something very different than that. Um, not sure how many herd games you guys have been able to catch. Awesome that they are live streamed on Facebook. But if you could add one player from Oshkosh to the Bucks roster for the rest of the season, who would it be and why? I'll take a Mumford for GP2 swap. This is a great question, Andrew. I really like this question. I had not thought of it in necessarily these terms, although um, I have thought a little bit when James Young was kind of having his crazy scoring binge a couple weeks ago, like, you know, would it make any sense to try to get him on the team given the lack of differentiation that you've been getting from from some of the wings and some of the injuries? Um, I I think there are probably two options. Um, One is Mumford and one is James Young. Um, I guess, would you agree? And um, which guy would you kind of lean towards? I think it's probably oh man that one's really tough um like i think it is those two guys pretty clearly um maybe it is munford um i think there's maybe a little bit more to like defensively there um i I don't maybe have as many questions about him but obviously james young is having a really nice year and yeah i i would be for um just cutting gp2 um and bringing either of those guys i think uh both of them could have a chance to help out more than gp2 does um i will also use this opportunity to remind people that uh just because a player is on the herd doesn't mean you can just grab him and put him on your team 
Um, you you need to give them a guaranteed contract. Like there, there's just not just pulling guys up from there. Like this is, it it is not like the the baseball minor league system in that these guys are in your system and you have uh, their NBA rights. Uh, you do need to give them a guaranteed contract to get them onto your NBA roster. So I just wanted to make that one clear because I know um, I've gotten some questions about that about like why not why not just pull up this guy for a couple games and. Well, because you can't. Um, so I just wanted to make that clear as well. And I don't think Andrew is suggesting that. Just wanted to touch on it. Yeah, well, I don't know if you need to give them a a guaranteed contract. But you need to say, give them an NBA contract. Yeah, you have to give them an NBA contract. And, um, and, and here's the thing. I mean, we talked about Gary Payton racking up all these NBA service days. That means that really you have to do more. You have to waive somebody other than Gary Payton to really get them for any type of time too, right? I mean, if yep. you wave Gary Payton and sign one of these guys to a two-way contract, for instance, which I don't even know if they'd want that kind of contract. They might be holding out for an NBA deal. Um, you'd probably only get, what, like 10, 15 days of NBA service from those guys because they, you know, there's no new 45 days of reset contract for, for a new signing at this point. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think the question is, well, who would you release, right? Like, is James Young or, or Munford going to give you better production than um, Rashad Vaughn? You know, you've already basically cut bait on him next year um you could bring him back in theory but you know i'm guessing that won't happen um you know you could wave jet obviously i'm as much as i'm a jet fan i'm not gonna say that that's like incomprehensible or something like that um so again like you know is is one of those guys gonna make a difference um i think it's a, a certainly a very reasonable thing to to suggest doing that. I mean, I'd even consider doing it for Liggins just because, um, I think as much as Liggins kind of is that dogged, dogged defender, um, you know, first off he fouls all the friggin' time. Um, and <laughs> he's always just flailing his arms. Yeah. Around. I mean, if you're actually a good defender, you don't foul like a million times. Like I think he averages, I think he might be leading the team in fouls per 36 or he's close to it, which is kind of crazy for a wing. Um, but also not crazy when you look at the way he plays. So, um, the fact that he's kind of a zero offensively and, you know, hamstrings, I think those second units somewhat. Yeah. I would consider waving Deandre Liggins at this point. Um, especially if you were really convinced by what you were seeing from young or, or Munford, it's kind of funny. I have no, I'll be honest. I have no sense of, of where those guys, how they would compare defensively. Obviously Munford's more of a combo guard you know, young is more of a, maybe a three, two wing type guy. Um, I would say I, I haven't seen anything that I would know that, but I have heard from from folks, or I guess I, I shouldn't say heard. I've read on Twitter from people that maybe <laughs> uh, Munford has a little bit more there. Yeah, so I think it'd be interesting for for either of those guys. Um, and not to say those that those are the only guys I like. Um, we have talked about our yeah. appreciation for Cam Oliver. Yes, um, sir. Cliff, Cliff Alexander's interesting, but. Um, Obviously, on this roster, is there room for like an athletic six eight dude who likes to dunk and play power forward? No, no, and unfortunately, that that position, I don't know if that really exists that much in the NBA period at this point. So, um, you know, unless Cam Oliver and, and and Cliff Alexander start to shoot like threes more consistently, and uh, I don't know exactly how those guys will fit in. Um, moving on, um, our friend Espen. Uh, I think I'll, I've pronounced his name incorrectly previously, but I'll try it again. Uh, a good Norwegian named Espen Veda Skalnes. Sorry, Espen, I tried. Um, <laughs> he asked, will Giannis do a super legit free throw line dunk this year? I assume Espen refer- is referring to an in-game dunk, which would be the first time anybody has done an in-game dunk from the foul line. Um, 
I, I will say I do not expect that. But if any NBA player were to just instinctively leap from the foul line in a game and dunk from there. Um, I mean, we've seen Giannis come about as close as you're going to come in a live game setting last year. Uh, I suppose it would be him. I don't expect it. And good God, would that be crazy if it happened? But I won't rule it out either. I need sports science to tell me about that mellow one. Because I feel like he was on enough of an angle that if you put that in a straight line, that might have been a free throw line dunk. Um, so as far as super legit, I feel like you'd have to clearly be able to tell that his foot is behind, uh, the free throw line. And I, and I think that becomes more difficult. So I'm going to say no, uh, to that one, but man, the other night he, he jumped from between the free throw line and the dotted, uh, circle and he put it like, that there was it was emphatic like he he cocked it he, he cocked, cocked it, it back a little bit there so if he just straight long jumps one and that's kind of what we saw with that mellow dunk last year like i don't know if it's out of the realm of possibility i, I think it could actually happen so uh, i i'll say no but there's a chance I, I think it's too bad we don't have another jazz game where we could maybe see him try to um free throw line lefty tomahawk rudy gobert <laughs> into another dimension um, but probably not going to happen. Uh, very important question. Will Leitner um, asks, is a hot dog a taco or a sandwich? More importantly, do you think Giannis thinks this is a, a thinks a hot dog is a taco or a sandwich? Hot, dog or ta- hot dogs are hot dogs. Stop asking this question. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't really – it's funny. As much as this joke about is a hot dog a sandwich – as much as this comes up um, on Twitter as sort of a joke slash sometimes occasionally people take it seriously, uh, I don't know if I've ever really formulated an opinion about it. Um, I don't think a taco is a sandwich. Um, I don't think a hot dog is a taco. And uh, I think I think hot dogs and sandwiches are cousins maybe, but um, I, I don't think it's, it's a sandwich. Um, more importantly, do you think Giannis thinks a hot dog is a taco or a sandwich? I bet Giannis being being european has never even thought of a hot dog being a sandwich that's just a totally foreign thing to him i bet if you asked him that he would kind of just look at you quizzically and and say no i put the i put the over under on hot dogs Giannis has eaten in his life at five and a half you don't think he's Nerland's Noel a, uh, a hot dog at, at halftime of an NBA game? I do not. I just can't imagine with his upbringing. Like, I can't imagine there was a lot of hot dogs in his upbringing. No, um, and then once he got to America, like he was under very strict supervision from uh, from the Milwaukee Bucks. Like, I, they were making sure he was getting smoothies and things that were good for him, um, as opposed to hot dogs. So, I, I would say the hot dog number is very low for Giannis in his life. I don't even know how to answer that question, so we'll move on. Um, last couple questions. These are pretty random. Um, Jordan, at Milwaukee Ham, uh, hopefully that's Darvin Ham reference. Um, alternate history question. How would the 2001 Bucks fare in today's NBA, and would they have gone seven with the Lakers in 01? Who are some realistic options at backup wing center that could become available in the second half? So I guess we talked a little bit about the um, that, that second part of the question, but let's let's talk about uh, how the 2001 Bucks would fare in today's NBA. Um, first off, I don't think they would have beaten the Lakers. I, I had no illusion about them actually winning in a champion. It was just like weird. I guess that's maybe just how 
delusioned I was as a Bucks fan, like not having nice things for the 10 years that I followed the Bucks <laughs> before that. Um, I, I just didn't think they were going to beat the Lakers. Kobe and Shaq, no way. But um, how would, maybe the more interesting question, well, I don't know, you can answer that. And then um, how do you think those Bucks would fare in today's NBA? Could they be competitive uh, in today's NBA or, or would the structural changes in the league um, make make that very difficult. Well, if there's if there's one thing I've done on Twitter with that team as I uh, kind of reflect, it is drool over the backside hammers that they used to run for Ray Allen. Um, mm. I adore them. I every time I see a Ray Allen Bucks like highlight, if it's like Dawkins or uh, Down to Buck or whoever it is. Uh, cutting some of this stuff i just keep seeing they and it'll be like a ray allen full game where he just goes off and it's a bunch of threes like there's backside hammers for him it's it's delightful and wonderful um and i guess you're saying you might want to see those for chris middleton at some point just checking eh, maybe maybe i've written yeah. hundreds or thousands of words about it um but yeah looking at them 18.13 point attempts per game. That was second in the league behind the Boston Celtics. Um, I assume if if we're going down this hypothetical situation, um, I get to kind of multiply those with how the game is played, um, which, I, which I think is always kind of the at the heart of the dilemma of these type of hypothetical situations. Like, am I allowed to give them um, all of the knowledge that they could have acquired in the... 16 years that basketball has developed like are they allowed to have those same changes because i would probably argue that yes so instead of 18 threes per game it's something like 35 threes per game um and them bombing away from three i think would be would be pretty cool and i think they'd be pretty good at it um so i think with the way that that george carl was coaching them at the time that I think they could have been able to to do some damage there um, and be able to 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 play pretty well. And um, I think I think I kind of like their chances of being a solid team in in the modern day if I give them uh, the benefit of that knowledge that you would accrue in the last fifteen years. Yeah, I think that team actually translates really well because you know I think at the time I always remember thinking like oh. The fact that they're led by basically perimeter players was a weakness, mm-hmm. but you know nowadays you'd look at it as like, oh, nice, wow, yeah, nice. Um, I think certainly Glenn's defense would be a problem, you know, at the yep. highest level against you know like the, the LeBron Jameses and Kevin Durant's, and you know how do you hide him against some of those teams? Um, but I think certainly you know um, thinking back to like you know you could probably do some pretty funky rosters with um, Tim Thomas also being part of oh, that yeah. group and. You know, playing small and because they, you know, they were interesting because they kind of were modern in the sense that they just sort of had these like role playing centers who didn't play big minutes. And, you know, Irvin Johnson just sort of rebounded and played defense and got out of the way and then let the perimeter guys do their thing. And so I think certainly, um, you know, Sam and Ray, I mean, it's funny, per 36, Ray only averaged 5.4 threes in the 2000 2001 season, shot 43% from three. Um, and then that those numbers sort of spiked over the next few years. He never averaged under under six until really late in his career. Because he's um, doing clay, he's doing clay numbers, right? Yeah, like it's going to be ten threes a game plus in the modern. I I, w- I would hope so. And so I think having having Ray, um, having Sam, and then you know Glenn, um, if he presumably hopefully he would stretch out more of the three point line, um, play more four. You could have Tim Thomas out there. 
we'd probably do some funky lineups um, going small with that group. Um, yeah, I think that would have been a real a real fun team in in the modern NBA. And again, you know, I don't think you would have had to twist their arms too much to uh, <laughs> to make them to make them shoot more threes because they certainly had some guys who who could play out there and um, you know do do some of those things. And what what's I'm trying to think. I mean, um, even Lindsey Hunter at, was shooting seven threes per thirty six minutes. Like he was near the top of that. Like you add him in there and he can help out defense. Like you could have a, a, a really killer small ball lineup. If you go Sam, Lindsay, Ray Glenn and a center, or if you get really freaky, you throw Tim Thomas in there and go crazy small and you could have a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, Tim Thomas shot four and a half threes per 36 and at 41% that year. Yeah. You're um, bombing away. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, Cassell and Glenn only hit around 30, 31%. So they were not good that year. Um, from three it's really interesting sam only shot 1.3 threes per 36 that year which is kind of crazy i don't remember him being such a low volume shooter but he was obviously more of a mid-range kind of long two type guy and it's kind of funny to look back and and see how few of those shots he shot because he he was incredible as a mid-range guy that year he shot 50 percent on long twos <laughs> 40 47 percent from 10 to 16 feet and he shot a ton he shot he six he shot 67% of his shots between 10, the 10 foot mark and the, and the three point line. Um, so incredible mid range shooter. And obviously you would expect, you know, and, and I think over large stretches of Sam's career, we did see that stretch out. So anyway, yeah, I think that'd be a really fun team in, in the modern NBA. Um, and then we'll end on a question and I apologize. I think we missed some, some other folks. Um, we missed Dan, Dane Schaefer's question about Chris Middleton's beard. Um, we didn't, we didn't get it in for some reason it wasn't showing up for me when I was pulling this, this, um, this list. So, uh, Dan, I think will still, um, be our friend. Uh, but Dan, Dan has been pounding the drum on Chris Middleton's sort of pseudo beard and how his good plays co- coincided with that. So we'll just acknowledge that and kind of put that as a thing to watch. We won't necessarily talk about it, but Dan, um, Thank you for, for pointing that out. I mean, just stay um, on hashtag beard watch for us and let us know how it goes. Hashtag beard watch. There you go. Or is it um, what? Hashtag undecided beard watch. I think that's what Dan called it. Yeah. Undecided beard watch. Um, so last question we'll get to um, from at Yams Kino. Yams Kino. Yams Kino. Yeah. Miss Kino. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, but it, yeah, let I us agree. know. Um, which buck would go furthest on American Ninja Warrior? <sighs> Man, that's really difficult um, because I feel like the, you just want to say Giannis, right? Like Giannis, no, no. You would think I, I do like, not. the freakiest I would, I, guy, I but like yeah, American but Ninja Warrior, correct? Like it's yeah. not, it's not good for that. Um, so I, I've really struggled with this since I've I've been presented this question because I'm not a hundred percent sure. Who would be? Because you kind of need a small guy, um, yeah. but I think Delhi's too dense. Like he, he just has like too much weight. He's too stocky. Yeah. He's, he's not, still he's not chiseled. Yeah, he's not like explosive. Yeah, like I think you have to take him out. Um, I mean, he does. I mean, he is the buck most likely to, you know, inflict ninja like damage and destruction <laughs> on somebody. Like. He will like judo chop somebody on an NBA court, but that is not the question. Um, I I think about Jason Terry a little bit, um, just because he is smaller. His quickness is very good. 
I would assume his strength is still very good. Um, and now he's starting to get some old man strength, so that is probably going to help out as well. Um, but I think it's Eric Bledsoe, right? Like, you look at... And I know sometimes <clears throat> yeah. long arms can be a bit of a problem in the American uh, Ninja War, Warrior competition, um, but I just look at a 6'1 body but with a long wingspan that can really help out with some of those strange, uh, I don't even know, all those exercises where you end up like hanging with your arms but then needing to still be active and like hopping yeah. on bars um, and stuff like that. Like I always... I feel like Bledsoe would be the guy for that, and obviously he still has that elite quickness and strength and explosiveness. So uh, that'd be my answer. Yeah, I think there are only two options, and um, the two options underscore the lack of correlation between being good at American Ninja Warrior and being good at NBA basketball. Because I think the two options would be Bledsoe, and then I think the other guy would be Gary Payton the yep, second, probably. Yep, I agree. Because um, GP two is also smaller, but. Very strong, um, you know. His vert scores, if I remember, was was pretty high, yep. um, and and so I think both those guys could be could be very good at that. But yeah, I'd probably go Bledsoe just because he seems just more like kind of jacked in the upper body. So maybe that would help him do like those hand bikes and all that kind of random crap like that. But um, I think uh, either of those guys would would probably be uh, be a good uh, be a good option. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Is there a guy in the league who you would pick? Is there any? Trying to think. I'm trying to think. Is there any? Is there? Do we know of any NBA players who do like martial arts and stuff? James oh, Johnson. James uh, Johnson. But, but he's, he's like he's too, big. He's, he's too big. He's too big. And he, I feel like he's also as much as people say he's lost weight, he still seems strikes me as kind of soft. Yeah, he's not a little really, doughy. Like, not like chiseled, sort yeah. of whatever. I don't know. Tweet at us if we if there's an obvious guy. Um, I would have previously said like Earl Boykins or some like tiny dude yep. who's just like ripped. Yep. Um, totally agree. Maybe maybe. Um, I was going to say, like, maybe um, pre-injury. Younger Isaiah Thomas might have been an option. Um, And then, um, yeah, I mean, though, like, Kay Felder, like, guys like that, like, really small guys who are just, like, super strong and explosive. Um, So, anyway, I think we're done. All right. I I, I think that's the perfect way for this to We missed missed some. I know some other people were tweeting at us, like, while we were doing this, so we apologize for missing you guys, but... We just went like two and a half hours talking about the stuff, so I'm exhausted. I need to go to bed. Yes, that that is going to be good enough for us. 